This podcast contains swear words. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, where we interview female-identifying and non-binary artists from dance, theater, music, and all kinds of intersecting sectors. Intersecting sectors. Mm. I'm your host, Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, a choreographer, actor, dancer, writer, and educator living on the unceded ancestral stolen territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations here on the west coast of Turtle Island. And before we get rolling, I'll do what I always do, which is to remind you to like this podcast, share, rate, you know, five stars, obviously. Review, tell your friends. The more you touch the little buttons, the little likey, likey, lovey, lovey buttons, the easier it is for folks to find this podcast. If they're looking for, hmm, I'd like to listen to something about performing arts, about, um, yeah, dance people and theater people, and then, boo will pop up. So that's super helpful. Also, donations really help. We pay our guests and it helps even a little bit. If you've got a small donation, a big donation, totally accept big donations. You can go to terrashyan.com, upper right-hand corner, click that donate button. Takes you right there. Or we'll put the link in the show notes. Okay, today's interview is with Amanda Testini. Ooh, ah, you can read her whole bio in the show notes, and we'll link to her website. Amanda is a fantastic choreographer and theater maker, also an actor, creator in many, many ways. She went to Studio 58, which is a fantastic theater education program here on the West Coast. And she kind of found her way into choreographing for theater, which is near and dear to my heart, which is something I've been doing since I graduated from university. Oh, so many moons ago. And Amanda's coming at the creating movement for theater in a lot of the ways that I am and with her own amazing take as well. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation, even if you're just really focused on dance. But we talk about all the places where dance and theater are the same because we're making stories with our bodies, sometimes with text, sometimes not. And it's really interesting. Amanda has some great insights for us. I listened to you so much in the pandemic. It feels very cool to be on your podcast. So yeah. So just know that. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Well, welcome to Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, Amanda Testini. I'm really happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Yay. Now I did in the intro, introduce people to your work. If folks do live on the West Coast of so-called Canada, maybe you've seen the Panto. The East Van Panto, if you haven't, mm, you're going to have to go next year. (laughs) It's pretty fun. It's so fun. Now, I know that's kind of like your latest, greatest hit, but tell me, what was your kind of journey? Did you just kind of fall into choreographing for theater? Yeah. How did that happen for you? Great question. So I started growing up as like a musical theater kid. I performed at Theater Under the Stars like every summer as a teenager. Love it. 
yeah, it was so fun. And I started dancing in high school as well. I'm a late dancer. I didn't start when I was three. I started when I was, I think, 15. Great. So your bones have developed properly. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You have proper functioning joints. I, I guess so. Like bless that, that life path that occurred. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, so I started dancing and then my dance teacher was like, I'm going to make you into a dancer. She saw some promise. So I was dancing 40 hours a week in high school on top of classes. And then from there after high school, I went to musical theater school, Randolph Academy, and I wanted to be a musical theater performer. I talked with this agent who was like, you're a cute little girl who's getting hired as a dancer. Your career is going to end at 30. You should go to acting school. And I was like, oh God, okay. Which now I know is not true. That's not true. It's bullshit. We're changing that. But yes, I was told similar things. Yes. Were you? Oh my gosh. When I was in ballet school, it was 27. That was cut (gasps) off. That was a cut off. So he's like, you have to become like the prima ballerina by the time you're 27 or you're just going to be in the court of ballet and then you're essentially fucked after that. Yo, <laughs> so. you know, I, I always wonder how I have this internalized expiration date. And then, you know, it's really not hard to look back and be like, oh, that's why. But we're changing the narrative so that other young femme people or just people in general don't feel like they have an expiration date. But anyway, that is what was told to me. And it, like, I'm glad for the path that I was on. So I went to Studio 58 after that, which is an acting school. And I was like, okay, I'm going to become an actor. While up there, the faculty found out that I had a dance background and they were like, do you want to choreograph? And I was like, oh, I think that's something that I want to do later in life. I don't think I'm ready. I've always wanted to. I imagine dances in my head, blah, blah, blah. But like, I, I want to do that in my 30s. I'm not ready. And they're like, well, too bad. We're assigning you to this show. It was called uh, Foreplay. So there's four plays and they're all like written by students. So the stakes are a little bit lower. And Courtney Doby was directing a new musical. Uh, it was about clothing. The name is escaping me. And Carly Pocarotti and Camiar Pazendas wrote it. And we were like, oh, we want Testini to be our choreographer. And I was like, oh God. So me and Tessa Track, we were the co-choreographers of it. Mm-hmm. I was the outside eye. She was also in it. So she was um, that internal brain going. And from there, you get like notes from people after yes. to give yep. feedback. And Courtney was like, if you wanted to do this professionally now, you could like, you should, oh. you should pursue this. And that really, you know, that really impacted me. And so I did. So after graduating from studio, I directed a play at the Colch's Ignite Youth Fest. Mm-hmm. And Ami Gladstone was assigned as my mentor. All of the youth got mentor assignments. And, you know, and he and I got along really well. So he brought me on to Onyegin, the remount, as the assistant choreographer, because Tracy Power, who had choreographed it, was busy doing some other things. So that was kind of how the momentum started rolling. But as you can probably hear from it, my career has been pretty overlappy, directing and choreographing and acting kind of all, all on top of each other. And... Yeah, I love it so much. I love it so much. (laughs) Lovely. It's so true that um, I don't know anybody who has a clear when they look back. And then I did this like one track into especially choreographing for theater, which I'm so interested because I've been doing it for a long time. My first was with Tammy Bence and Sharon Heath and the F word way back, probably before you were born. But I was like fresh out of SFU. And I just said like, oh, if you need choreography, just ask me. I was, you know, when you're like really young, you're like, sure, I'll do that. 
Yeah, totally. Not really knowing, but I had been to theater school and I had a dance degree. So I figured like you, just kind of like going back and forth. I mean, I don't really separate Mm -hmm. them, which I think is, I don't know if you agree, part of our job as people working in theater and dance to kind of convince the structure that they're actually not different. You know, Mm -hmm. we bring our bodies on stage. So there's going to have to be choreography, whether there's an official choreography or not. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's interesting because I agree with that. And I've also had to, I don't know if you've ever felt like this. I bet you haven't because you went to SFU for dance. But when people are like, oh, you're a choreographer, I had trouble with that label for a while because my intersection is so valuable is the fact that like I went to acting school and have this dance training. And because I remember what it feels like to not be a confident dancer because I started at 14, 15. I feel really confident in my communication with, with actors and opera singers of how to convince them that if you have a body, you're a dancer, which, which I hear you say all the time. Exactly. And with theater, yeah, they really aren't that far apart. Even directing, like choreography isn't this separate, like nothing happens in a silo, right? Everything is so collaborative in theater by all being together. And even as an actor, I'll work in gestures that help me as a way in. And that's choreography too. Even if it's not assigned by a choreographer, it's happening anyway. Yeah, hundred percent, right? It's always there. And I've definitely collaborated with directors recently where the line between direction and choreography is like Mm -hmm. really fantastically blurred, which I really appreciate because a lot of direction is moving bodies in space. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what choreography is. And we inhabit characters through our bodies. So, you know, a choreographer has a lot to offer. We're always designing our bodies and how we're standing and what gesticulation we're using. Ooh, gesticulation. Oof, I used a big word. <laughs> Great word. <laughs> Such yeah, a good word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit more about how you enter as the choreographer. Yeah. I mean, I would say that my entry point, even though I do have an acting background, my entry point is usually music. Just obsessed. You know, I, I've worked a lot with Veda Hilly. I'm starting to work a little bit more on operas and the music is super juicy. So taking that on a walk is usually my way in. And narrative is, uh, I'm serving the narrative. So I, I'm thinking about choreography like an actor and I'm thinking about how to either support or intentionally work against the narrative. I've started working in some contemporary dance spaces and it's interesting to see the difference there where narrative is not always the thing that's being served, where it's like the emotional expression or something like that. But often in my career choreography it is yeah I still want to serve the story in that way I know that sounds so basic but that's what I feel my role is often on these shows is like how can I just take what's going on on stage and add either extra flourish or dimension or increase the like emotional height or give a layered meaning like a metaphoric meaning into the narrative what about you what are your ways in (laughs) what are the things that you think about (laughs) flipping flipping the um when you say narrative I think there's story everywhere there's always story. We're mm-hmm. humans. And I have this kind of like back and forth with people who work more abstractly because I go back and forth with contemporary dance and theater. And mm-hmm. we're not so unlike each other, really. You put people on stage and 
the audience is going to have a story whether you intend it or not. So I think that's so vital and that's so great that you're being in both worlds. What is the story here? Even if it's not linear, even if it's not maybe obvious, what feelings do we want to have? What feelings do you want to offer gift to the audience, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody said this to me a couple of years ago. I'm still rolling it around in my head if I totally agree with it or not, but I think there is some truth to it. In theater shows that are not necessarily like musical theater, you notice bad choreography, but sometimes you don't notice good choreography because it just supports the story in this seamless way. Oh, I think that's so true. I think people Mm -hmm. don't see it. And I find it frustrating as hell. (laughs) Yeah, totally. They're like, oh yeah, well, I saw you did that little dance bit. It's like, no, I did everything. Yeah. But that's the thing, right? When it supports it, it kind of like carries the show in this in this seamless way that other parts of the story that are prioritized in theater and like as they should be shine brighter. Right. It's also what people are trained to notice though too, hey? Oh yeah. You know, the hierarchy of language and like a dramaturge I work with, Melanie Yates, says words are bossy which I love because it's so true. As soon as words, it's like, we can't see this incredible detailed movement that people are doing, but it still matters. Oh my gosh. I've never heard of the hierarchy of language. That's brilliant. That makes so much sense. Right? Yeah. And so I think like, that's something to pat yourself on the back for is that we're supporting something that is so loud and so taking all the like, Ooh, what a wonderful script. And you know, I think you might have had this experience. You can come in and it's like, this is not a wonderful script. But if we work and we have all this movement and texture and also, of Mm -hmm. course, lighting and sound and everything, we're creating theater out of nothing. And I think sometimes that's not really acknowledged. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like people come in with a script. This is what I'm working with. As opposed to, I think we come in and, and it's like, well where can we go? You know, we're making Mm -hmm. it up. We're making up a language, right? Totally. I was talking to someone and I was like, oh, oh, I don't, I don't really feel like a writer. And they were like, well, you kind of are writing. Like you're just writing in body language. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm writing in body language. A hundred percent. And I feel like that's something that's a little bit of a soapbox for me is that to value what dancers and choreographers do just because it's this hierarchy of language, Mm -hmm. just because it's not words doesn't mean it's not even clearer language. Absolutely. I had this really great experience. So through the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of time to marinate and think. And so Ami and Veda were working on a new script and we're like, do you want to do the choreography on it? We're going to do workshops and then you can come in later. And I was like, what if, what if the movement was included from, like, what if I got as much time to work with the script and, and for the movement to be integrated with the script as the text and music? And they were like, okay, cool. And it was great. And people were kind of confused. Like the actors were like, why are you here? It's, it's just a workshop. And I was like, because <laughs> the movement can have that time to grow and have those iterations too, because I find that choreography in theater is so reactive a lot of the times. The script has had time to develop. The music has had time to develop. But I'm reacting to the closest thing to product. And so I feel like my process has to skip to product really quickly. There isn't usually a lot of time to 
workshop movements or try movements on different bodies or, or different abilities. And so having that experience of letting the choreography integrate and have the same timeline or have the same like birth period or something as the rest of it was very satisfying and exciting and helpful for me. <laughs> Really. And for everybody, it's going to make it a better work. Mm -hmm. That makes me so happy because I've had that experience recently too. And I like a good handful of things. What if we bring you on at the beginning? Thank you. Yeah. Just, you know, but we have to talk about the other side of the story. Tell me if you have any of these kind of stories. For example, it's 15 minutes before the end of a tech day. So say it's like quarter to 11 at night. And we've been working since, I don't know, noon. And the director goes, can you re-choreograph that whole end section? You got 15 minutes with this company of exhausted actors. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we do it. We push it out. And it's, ugh. And it's not good for the actors either. Like when that has happened to me, I can feel they're so tired. They're so saturated. Oftentimes movement is not the thing that they're the most comfortable with. So it takes extra energy, mental strength, all of that. And I'm such a planner and I'm really a visualizer when I choreograph and I like to write it all down before I give it out. And so often when one thing is changed, I have to think about the whole piece again and see how everything, how that domino affects. And so something that I've gotten better at doing is being like, can I have five minutes to just respond to the request? Because I think that's the thing too, is different choreographers have different abilities. Some are really good at like just seeing how things go on the fly, but that's been something in my own personal process that I found beneficial is just asking for five and then being able to respond so that I can be the best leader for the company possible. And I'm not like, um, I don't know what to, um, let me, maybe just try, you know what I mean? So if, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I certainly wasn't taught to ask for more time or ask for like, you know what? I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to do it tomorrow. We need to process this. I was doing an interview with fantastic artist, Lee Soufay, who's a voice specialist and a choreographer and dancer creator. And they were just really talking about taking time. And I realized I come up against it, especially when I work in theater, because I think the model of theater making is so condensed. Mm -hmm. And that's so brilliant. It's just give me some time because then we're going to be better. Our systems can relax a little bit. Yeah, with time too. I'm working on one of my first contemporary dance pieces with the company and we've been working on it for six months and then we still have another year before it's going up. And I'm like, oh, yummy. The time, incredible. And it's so fun. The movement is going to be so rich. And also I'm a deadline gal for sure. Like there's part of the insane theater schedule that I have adapted into and grown to really appreciate because my overthinking tendencies don't have space. Right. So that is, I would say, the, the positive side. If there's enough of the other gentleness, openness, agency that is welcome into the process, I find that the deadline is pretty, it's pretty helpful. <laughs> Oh yeah. I can't survive without a deadline. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's, as we're moving towards a little bit more aptitude for listening to each other and that gentleness that we can, because we still all have to get a product out. Like mm -hmm. you got to do the show. Yeah, yeah. I have done a few processes where it's so chill that I get really anxious. Oh yeah. Like, well, when are we going to do this? I can't do the show. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 are we going to do the show? Yeah, Is it totally. show day? 
I need show day. <laughs> I need the pressure. And I think it's that performative thing, right? Like, yeah, that's what we need. We need the other side of the conversation. So you can't just, you know, flop around in the studio indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We need both for sure to keep us the balance. Yeah. So if anybody's out there and is a director, I just want to reiterate, bring the choreographer into the workshop process. Mm-hmm. Early on, I've been in on uh, the beginning of a script. Unreal. Which has been just fantastic because then the playwrights, like we can kind of like bounce back and forth and I can say like, I'm seeing kind of this and then they can be like, oh, okay, well that's influencing how I'm going to write. That's so great. So if you're a playwright, bring the choreographer in. It's amazing. (laughs) You talked about how you like, you like to plan. Is there something right now in terms of how you're making dance or how you're making movement? It's all dance. You know, it's everything, a little gesture, a little turn of the head, something that's inspiring you or jazzing you right now. Yeah. I mean, I would say the same thing that always jazzes me, jazzes me, which is like taking my music for a walk something that is a little bit different in my process that I'm exploring right now is I'm working on a piece that's a little bit different than the other theater works that I normally work in that are supported by the text of the piece. This one's just music with, uh, there is text in it, but it isn't written by the playwright and it's not sung by anyone. It's not spoken by anyone on stage. It's just recording as kind of a backtrack. And so I'm working to dramaturge it in a way that I, I guess I don't normally do because it's that blueprint I feel like it's given to me by whoever's writing the music. So I'm thinking, even though I have ideas for like the nitty gritty choreography, I'm trying to stay more outside eye and be like bird's eye view and trying to look at the piece and be like, okay, how can I rough chunk this up to tell the story that will support the rest of the story and then go in from there and bust out some moves. Nice. Nice. Again, so basic, but... Well, I mean, it isn't really, I think that we're always doing or we should be doing is you zoom in, you zoom out, you zoom in, you mm, zoom out. And mm-hmm. and knowing when you need to zoom out, you know, like you say, like chunk it out. Like where are the things? Where's the dynamic? Is there conflict in it? Is there, you know, yeah. what's the play within the play of that piece? Exactly. Yeah. So fun. So fun. That sounds neat. <laughs> I just realized I just used the word neat and earlier jazzed. Love it. <laughs> I'm so old. Um, <laughs> no, no. Neat and jazz are they're, they're You also use the word gesticulate. So, okay, maybe I'm well rounded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well rounded. <laughs> this is something that comes up a lot for me in conversation too with theater artists and dance artists in dance. You know, we go to class, we practice, we go to the gym, we're doing the body every day. In theater, it's not so much. And I have a dream that will kind of like come together a little bit more at that. Do you have anything to say about that or like what's your own practice? Because theater contracts are so demanding in time, it's like I flirt with going to class, but I often will go to classes that are outside of what I would consider my strengths in dance. I say that in air quotations, just to get different pathways open in my body to be able to choreograph a bit more freely. So that's something that I do in my own process. Being a theater artist, you know, I'll also go to like acting classes or or audition coachings and keep refining my tools to help my acting, but also to 
inform my choreography so that I can be just as smart as the actors or I can speak to them in their language with more ease. So I really try to keep those two things really present in my body and in my practice. And then during the pandemic, I started this dance series called Are We Human or Are We Dancer, Mm. uh, which was a dance program for movers and actors and opera singers and stage managers. And I ran two sessions of it and it was a blast. And it was for people who wanted to improve or touch on their dance skills from someone with more of a, an acting perspective. But we also did workouts. We also did every week you could bring an offering. So some people taught makeup tutorials or some people did a sports psychology lecture. It was really fun. There were some stage managers in that as well. And I think that's a thing too that isn't so separate from the art making, right? Stage managers are artists too. They totally are. Yeah. And we we often get boxed because it's easier for our, our little human brains to just think of people as these one things. But I feel like the conversation is, at least from where I stand, starting to open up and allow people to be more than one thing. Oh, yeah. Which is what we are. We are. We are. We're not like this or that. You're sliding around the spectrum, I think, all the time. It's such a good point about stage managers. I was working with a stage manager recently who I've known for years and years and years and is one of the best stage managers of all times, Angela Bullio. And I will for sure ask her her opinion on anything that we're doing in the room. Mm -hmm. So smart, so intuitive, and also like so caring. Like there is kind of a superpower with stage managers. And it's so true. Like it is art. Absolutely art. Um, Oh, that sounds like a fun, fun program. It was a fun time. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody's a dancer. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a body. I know I keep saying it, but it's like it's your birthright to sing and dance. Yeah. 110%. And it's interesting how a label can be so hard to put on, right? Of like, when do you get to call yourself a dancer? When do you get to call yourself a choreographer? Right. But it's like you said, it's a birthright. You have a body, you get to dance. It's just part of the human expression. It feels so good. Oh my God. Singing and dancing feel the best thing. Mm -hmm. If we all got up and like danced to our favorite song every day. Yeah. And maybe sang along. Your day's going to be better. Yeah, your life will improve. <laughs> totally. I want to respect your time, but I want to know because you talk about music and I'm like that too. I like my playlist and every process is like, okay, what songs am I going to use as my inspiration? Do you have some stuff that you always go to or how do you do that? How do you put together your playlists? Oh, great question. I think it depends on like the vibe of the piece. I definitely have certain songs that always like wake something up in me, you know, like usually something by Rosalia will get me when. Nice. Do you know Rosalia? Do you know that artist? I do, but not well. Oh, she's so good. Yeah. If you have any like tracks that you would recommend. Yeah. I'll send you some. Um, Yeah. But I feel like it is partially the playlist, but it's also, I think, how I take that playlist out in the world. So taking it for a walk or a run weirdly is the thing that gets my juices flowing. 
And it's in a way that's no pressure. Cause even when I improvise to music, sometimes I feel this pressure to be good and to be right or to create something brilliant immediately, but taking it for a walk or a run and just being in tempo with it or taking it out in nature helps me tap into like my subconscious mind or something really freeing. And then from there, I can take it to a studio and really crack into it. Ooh, I love that. The power of walking through space is not to be underestimated. Not to be underestimated. A dancer that's been interviewed on this podcast, Kate Franklin, she often says, if you want to change your mood, if you want to get out of whatever it is that's driving you crazy, which is for me always something, just listen to the music and walk. Mm -hmm. And it's true. It's like an emotional chiropractic. I love that emotional chiropractic. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah, it's true. It really does just change up your energy in this really palpable way. It's so helpful. Yeah. Power of music. Totally. The power of sound. Hey, is there anything, any habits or practices that keep you, and you've kind of talked about them a little bit already, but that keep you creative, like feed your artist self. Mm -hmm. And they can be anything, even things that don't sound arty. I am weirdly obsessed with habits and ticking things off of my checklist. Um, It's almost a little bit OCD, but I have to do these things to feel like grounded in the rest of my life. Doing my Duolingo. Oh yeah, I love it. What are you learning? Italian. (laughs) (gasps) I'm doing Spanish and Yiddish. Oh my gosh, yes. They have Yiddish on there? They have Yiddish. I'm terrible, but I'm like my ancestry. Maybe I should learn some words. So fun. Other than Tukis and you know, schmaltz. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But no, it's like getting that streak. So satisfying, right? So satisfying. So doing my Duolingo is, is something that makes me feel grounded and ready to work in the rest of my life. Often playing music on my guitar that as well, if I need a break, you know, if I'm working on an acting contract, dance will be my break from there. If I'm working on choreography, I'll play some music on my guitar. And it's just like, just to switch things up and to not feel just stuck in any pathways or, or mental ruts. But I think these things, like all of these habits on, I'll talk about a couple more are really just to keep my brain moving and open. I feel like that's the benefit of it. So yeah, so playing my guitar, doing my Duolingo, meditating. I'm a meditator, love Sam Harris. There's an app called Waking Up. You have to pay for it, but I think they give you like a 30-day trial. And I like it because it's not precious or there's not too much flourish on it. Mm -hmm. it. You can do like a daily meditation and they all talk about looking for the seer, looking for the person who's thinking Mm-hmm. And that kind of breaks your brain and you're like, whoa, we're all connected. Consciousness is just consciousness. So yeah, that's a fun app. And those are solid. And then working out. I really like Lagree West, Pilates. Oh yeah. Pilates gal. Yeah. 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 You know, I I just like working out in group. I know. Isn't it great? I go to a CrossFit. It's so great. We don't really talk to people, but you're in a room. Like there's a little bit, it's like a community. It's nice. And then sometimes it's such a vibe, like the bright lights kind of feels like being at a club, but it's, you know, seven in the morning. You're like, this is a fine way to start my day. So aggressive, but also (laughs) such a vibe. (laughs) And frankly, I'm not going to a club at night because I got to get (laughs) to bed. So let's do it at 7 a.m. I'm there. 
Yeah, totally. I feel like it's for that shift, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not going out dancing till two in the morning, but I can get up aggressively early and go to a spin class and kind of get the same hit. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Those are solid habits. I like those. Last thing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd love to talk about or something coming up that we need to look for Um, that you've made or are interested in or anything? The next thing that I'm doing is Teenage Dick at the Arts Club. Very cool script. Super. Yeah. So come check that out. That looks really fun. When does that go up? I believe we open February 12th or 13th. So around there. Oh, nice. The script is just so brilliant. So come for that. And then there'll be some dancing, of course. And then what I'm working on after that, which I'm excited for is The Kitchen at Studio 58. There's like 35 people on stage all working in this kitchen and, and it's kind of a slice of life sort of thing. There's not really a a narrative. Somebody asked me, what's it about? And I was like, it's not really about like, it's just like a life in a kitchen and, and love and and wanting to get out of it or, or not. And there's these cool movement sequences and the pace of, you know, the prep and then the rush of lunch rush and all of that is built into it in a super (sighs) smart way. So that'll be fun. That sounds so cool. Yeah. I mean, kitchens are, that's choreography. Yeah. Oh man. Complex. Yeah, totally. Cool. Thank you so much, Amanda. It's been so fun. Thanks, Tara. So fun. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So great to talk shit. Ah, I love talking shit with you. We'll do it again. Yeah, please. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Amanda, for sitting down with me for such an exciting and interesting, thought-provoking conversation. And please get in touch, listeners. Thank you, listeners. Get in touch on Instagram, Tereshan TCP, Facebook, Tereshan Performance, email. Do you remember email? Info at Tereshan.com. If you know somebody that you'd love to hear interviewed, if you are that person, please drop me a line. Talking Shit with Tereshan is a project of Tereshan Performance. Produced, edited, with original music by Mark Stewart. And you can get a hold of Mark at markstewartmusic.com. In the words of James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, I love that book. Super useful. Habits. So much of what we do, so much of creativity is wrapped up in our habits. Worth a thought. James Clear says, the more you create, the more powerful you become. The more you consume, the more powerful others become. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks so much, everybody. Keep making shit up. We'll see you next time. This podcast is effing good.